Hey everyone, my name's Mimi Blue and you're listening to Human Dialectic. What's up? How are you guys doing? I hope you guys had a wonderful weekend. It's getting a little bit warmer here on the East Coast. But enough of me rambling. I know this is the weekly series, the Dialectic Bulletin, where I touch on the most critical news for your development, or at least for you to understand what's going on in this world. And ironically, I could not find variety in the news cycle because, as you may already know, all the the media wants to talk about is Russia. And it is it is very important if you pay attention to what they're trying to do. If you are getting absorbed in your emotions and trying to take the side of Ukraine without really fully understanding the context of what is going on, and we will talk about that shortly, you get lost in the emotions. You get lost in the news cycle. So I was not able to find a variety of items to discuss in this episode. However, there are critical pieces that tie into what's going on in Russia and Ukraine and how it is impacting the rest of the globe, especially in the United States. So the censorship is very real. There is the burying of news that is so vital for us to understand what's going to happen this year. So I'm going to touch on those a little bit. But the headliner, of course, is Russia, but it's not necessarily Russia. It is the effects of Russia and what it's going to lead to for the rest of the globe. Now, before we talk about that, I did want to clarify what's going on in Ukraine because a lot of people, like I said, are very emotional. And when you listen to that television, it's going to lie to you. It meaning the media will lie to you and you don't have full coverage or understanding of what's going on. Now, as an American, I will be frank. I have very little knowledge, or at least I had little knowledge of what was going on previously, but I had to do a lot of research. And that's why I'm bringing it to all of you smart people, because you're listening, because you want to know what's going on. I'm a research rat. So rather than rambling, let me just get straight into it. I've been able to watch several documentaries in the limited time that I have, but also brush up on exactly why this whole chaos is happening in Ukraine. And it actually starts back, technically speaking, in 2014. But there is a much longer history to where Ukraine is now. I have several clips that I do want to play because it provides the holistic uh, viewpoint of what is actually happening in Ukraine or what has actually led up to this event. Rather than me trying to explain as if I am a historian, I would prefer to have you listen to people who are familiar with the matter. And they are pretty much, I mean, if you if you do your own research, and of course, if you use your own judgment, they seem pretty solid. But don't let me convince you. Obviously, you need to figure out what is your truth, but there is only one truth, and you're not getting multiple sides from the media. 
you're only getting one side and one narrative. And of course, the military industrial complex is completely hungry for a war. So the first clip I'm going to play is a French journalist who has been in Ukraine since 2015. And she is noting what she is seeing and has seen in Ukraine. So this is not anything new, but it has escalated. So listen to this clip. A French journalist has been criticized for claiming locals in the Donbass region are being targeted by the Ukrainian government. Anne-Laura Bonnell has been filming in the war-torn eastern Ukraine area since 2015 and spoke about her experience on air in France. There are dead and wounded. I film them every day. I take photos every day to save as proof. I do not have any political message to express. But just so you know, this conflict has been widely discussed for a week, but it has lasted already eight years and caused the deaths of 13,000 people. People are devastated. All of them are Ukrainians, and they're extremely surprised that Europe is now aware of the situation. All of this shelling, hiding and living in basements, heavy artillery everywhere. I was filming this back in 2015, but I repeat, this has been going on since 2014. Sorry to interrupt. Not all of us know about the situation as much as you do, since you've been following it for so many years. Something you said surprised me. You said that all of those people are Ukrainians, and the shelling is also conducted by Ukrainians? Definitely. This is something really important, and somehow it's being ignored. Residents of the Donbass began to be targeted by their own government in 2014. Russian-speaking citizens fell victim to shelling by Kiev government. It's true. I have proof. I can show it as soon as I go back to France. I have a whole documentary. It's undeniable. But today the shelling is being carried out by Russians or Ukrainians? The Ukrainians are shelling where I am now. The Ukrainian government bombed its citizens. Children had to live in basements for months. The film that I made in 2015 has proof of these crimes against humanity. I take responsibility for my words and urge you to watch it. The other day I was at a school. Two teachers were hit by an explosion. Their bodies were cut in two. I uploaded these photos to Facebook. I've met elderly women who could not leave this area. Civilians are falling victim to heavy artillery, rocket launchers. I'm not very good with weapons, but I can confirm that here in the Donbass, in the Russian-speaking part, residential areas are still being shelled today. Yesterday, Donetsk was bombed. And you think these bombings are being conducted by the central Ukrainian authorities? Yes. Okay, so you heard that. Now, you might come to your conclusion and say, well, she's French. She doesn't really know the nature of the conflict intimately, even though she's been in Ukraine allegedly until or since 2015. How about I play a clip of an actual Ukrainian who understands what is going on? And I will be very frank here, give you a little disclaimer. If you get very offensive by people telling you the truth, then maybe you should just tune out. But sometimes the truth hurts and Quite frankly, the truth always hurts. My phone rang at 7.30 in the morning on the 24th of February. The dialer was my American friend from my high school days in the US. He was the last person I expected to call, especially at 7.30 in the morning. I knew immediately that the war has actually broken out. The beginning of the war did not surprise me. In fact, it's long overdue. What surprised me was the fact that he knew nothing about the suffering that the Russian Ukrainians had endured over the past eight years. Let me get something straight. NATO promised that they wouldn't move an inch to the east. 
That was a lie. And now we are surrounded by an aggressive military alliance. NATO gladly bombed Yugoslavia under the pretenses of a potential genocide. Did they bomb just military installations? No. NATO destroyed schools, hospitals, bridges, cultural monuments, private businesses, and industrial plants. Did you forget about that? Did you forget about how NATO pumped money and weapons into Georgia right before Georgia bombarded Russian peacekeepers and civilians? Of course you did, because your media doesn't want you to know. Did you forget how yet another territory was ripped away from Serbia? Do you not remember Kosovo? Did you protest then? I bet you didn't and I bet you didn't even care. Did you forget the invasion of Libya? If you're in Europe, you can't forget. Thousands of migrants are your daily reminder of what your governments did to that country. Did you protest the illegal invasion of Syria by Turkey and the US? I bet you didn't. Do you care about Saudi Arabia starving Yemen? I bet you don't. Do you care or did you care about the illegal invasion of Iraq and Afghanistan under false pretenses? What, they aren't people to you? Why haven't you been vocal against the murder of children and civilians at Iraqi and Afghani weddings by American bombardment? Ah, that's right. They're brown people. They're probably worth less to you. Where were your crocodile tears when Kiev started bombarding Ukrainian Russians in the East simply for doing the exact same thing as the Ukrainians did in the West, was to get rid of a corrupt government? Where were your crocodile tears when Kiev shut off electricity and water to Crimea? Where was your save the Ukrainian people when 48 civilian anti-Maidan Ukrainian protesters were rounded into a Union trade house and burned alive whilst those who tried to escape the fiery hell were beaten and shot? Do you by any chance know who the, who the Madonna of Gorlovka is? Do you know who the or what the Alley of Angels memorial is? Let me give you a hint. People engraved into that memorial aren't alive and they are not adults. Did you shed even one digital virtue signaling tear when the children at the children's beach in Zagres were purposefully bombed by the Ukrainian military using illegal cluster bombs? I bet you didn't, but that's okay. How would you? Your mainstream media keeps you in the dark. For eight years, the US and its allies have been pumping billions of dollars worth of lethal weapons into Ukraine. For eight years, the Ukrainians have been waging a war with their own people in the East. And for seven years, uh, Russia and the people of the Donetsk and Lugansk republics have been patiently waiting for Kiev to adhere to the Minsk agreements. Should Russia have waited maybe 20 more years? You know, uh, the amount of years that the US spent killing Afghanis. So whilst leaders like Boris Johnson, Joe Biden, Emmanuel Macron, uh, Olaf Scholz and Ursula von der Leyen have been virtue signaling about the poor Ukrainians, they have been robbing the Ukrainians of their dignity, making their economy run on loans from the IMF and basically robbing them of their future. And Russia is to blame when we were their primary trading partner. The West pushed Russia into a corner. Protect yourself from an increasingly hostile neighbor who wants to become part of a hostile military alliance called NATO and lose Nord Stream 2, for example. Or watch Russian Ukrainians get slaughtered by the thousands. The West wanted to fight this war with Russia until the very last Ukrainian. Remember Kosovo? Well, the Lugansk and Donetsk republics have every right to exist. Russia didn't set the precedent. Your leaders did when they recognized Kosovo. And final food for thought. Why was there no bombardment of innocent civilians in Crimea, even though it's closer to Kiev than Donetsk is? 
I'll give you a hint. The actual Russian military was there protecting the people. Here's another. The Ukrainian army has been fighting this invisible Russian army for eight years now in the East, according to your mainstream media. Why then did the Ukrainian army collapse within 24 hours when fighting the actual Russian military? And since it did, what do you think your tax dollars were doing in Ukraine? That's right. Your tax dollars were used by Ukrainians in the West to kill Ukrainians in the East, and you didn't give a flying fuck about it. So if you haven't been following this conflict from day one, and now you put the blue and yellow flag on your photo, wipe away your crocodile tears, please, and find out why your governments have been supporting those who have made a Nazi criminal, Stepan Bandera, their national war hero. Don't expect a good result from pushing a bear and the dragon into a corner. And definitely don't be surprised when that bear and that dragon begin pushing back. So if you haven't been crying for the collectively millions of dead Iraqis, Afghanis, Syrians, Libyans, Yugoslavians, and East Ukrainians these past 20 years, but you're crying crocodile tears for Ukrainian military installations, wipe them away and think about what your governments have been doing and what they're still doing. And I hope that this eight year story of a war started by a criminal Ukrainian government against its own people can finally come to an end and Ukrainians and Russians can finally live in peace. Okay, so you heard that. Very, very frank, very transparent. And though I know many Americans want to show compassion and that is just the human nature of who we are as humans especially if you're living in a nation where we try to honor liberties and freedom and so forth and I'm not trying to sound like a broken record here but there's a certain mindset a perspective that is created a bubble even of some sorts that is created and Americans don't have an understanding of international affairs. Now, what is happening right now is some form of psychological operations being conducted, not just in the U.S., but around the globe. We're not getting the truth. We are having our psyches attacked. And we're obviously not being given all of the information about Ukraine and how it engages with the U.S. government, including other governments, but primarily the U.S. government, in diplomacy, in any of their political positions, creating policy. There are many, many fingerprints that the U.S. has all over Ukraine. So I recognize that Americans want to do something and they feel compelled to help out. But you need to understand history and you need to understand who the true enemy is. And it's very, very hard for people to acknowledge or take responsibility of the leaders they put into power. We voted specific people in. To some degree, we voted and that counted. Those individuals are causing havoc all over the world. And yet we don't want to take responsibility to see that that mess was created from here. So if we don't hold our leaders accountable, and technically they are not leaders for us, they are globalist leaders, 
If we don't hold them accountable, this mess is going to continue happening. And when I talk about inflation here in the States, and then also the energy creases that are happening all over the globe, Americans are not going to have enough time to help other people because people are not going to come and help the Americans. You know, when they tell you to put your needs first, or let me just give a, a primary example. When you're on a plane and they tell you to put your mask on first before you help somebody else, apply that to the situation that the U.S. is in. We are extending help, extending funds, uh, giving financial help um, resources all over the globe. Now, who is going to help the U.S.? I'm not trying to be selfish. I'm just trying to put a, a picture here. We don't have any interest in Ukraine, but we know that there are specific associations and relationships that are happening between the U.S. government and Ukraine and even other, uh, other countries, quite frankly. So when shit hits the fan, who is going to help the American people? I mean, who? Can you guys name one country? We, you may say that we have allies. Don't think that these allies have the superpower that the United States has, and it's dwindling each day. The only countries who would be of equivalent nature to the United States' political and economical stature is China. Yes, I hate to, to break it to you. And China has been very silent this entire time. So it makes me think that they are trying to do something else while the rest of the world is focused on Russia and Ukraine. You could throw you, uh, Russia in there as well if they do have nuclear weapons. I know some people question if nuclear weapons exist. I do believe that there are some lethal weapons that do exist we have not seen them yet, but I can assure you they're going to use them because we have psychopaths in power. So I do want to play one more clip of a an American who is living in Ukraine. And once again, he points things out. And if you don't like being called out and you get very sensitive, maybe it's best for you to turn this off and go back to the distractions. But that is what's happening. We have distractions. We are civilians who don't understand military strategy. And he essentially breaks down what is happening with Russia and their strategy to not necessarily take over Ukraine or to conquer Ukraine, but to protect it. So today is Saturday, uh, February 26th. And it's the third day of the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. Now, the people in the United States do not seem to understand what is going on insofar as Russia's invasion is concerned. Because they keep saying that uh, Russia is failing, which is the weirdest comment. Russia is failing because Russia hasn't taken out the infrastructure of uh, of Ukraine hasn't hit the uh, electrical grid, hasn't uh, destroyed the uh, cell phone towers or, or or the water supply or something like that. Uh, it, it, it's just remarkable. They they keep insisting that the Russians seem to advance and then retreat whenever they meet any resistance. Hmm? And 
it's, it's just a failure of imagination on the part of so many American commentators that they do not seem to understand what Russia is really doing with this invasion. Because you see, the American mode of war is to go to a country and destroy everything. Destroy the electrical grid, cell towers, the water supply system, everything. Just destroy the whole thing and then roll in. That's not fighting a war. That's just uh, mopping up the total annihilation of a country. And the United States has done this repeatedly in Afghanistan, in Iraq, in Libya, in Syria, or they semi tried to do it in Syria. I mean, it's really kind of like a despicable way of, of making war, right? But what are the Russians doing? Well, see, the Russians, they don't want to destroy Ukraine. No, they don't want to destroy it at all. What they want to do is they want to capture it intact, see? And they don't want to hurt the civilians. Why would they? From their point of view, if they harm civilians, they just create enemies. And so they want to capture Ukraine, change the political leadership of Ukraine, and install a political leadership that is sympathetic to Russia's security needs and is going to be a long-term ally. But they don't want to alienate the Ukrainian population. Because if they alienate the Ukrainian population, well, the Ukrainian population will eventually overthrow this puppet regime. And the Russians want to install a puppet regime. Let's not pretend otherwise. But they want to install a puppet regime whereby the Ukrainian citizens are more or less indifferent to it. They don't want to install a puppet regime after having made the lives of Ukrainians so miserable. So that's why they don't want to destroy Ukraine or harm the Ukrainian populace. They want to capture Ukraine intact, change the political leadership, and then let it go. Of course, because they don't want to manage Ukraine. They don't want it to be a burden on them. They don't want that long term. And so what are they doing? They are rapidly invading the whole country, and, and everybody concedes that they're moving very, very quickly. But they're not hitting any civilian infrastructure. They're only hitting military targets. And they are relentless in hitting the military targets, but always with a certain degree of caution. And I'll explain why in just a moment. But they're hitting military targets. They are avoiding civilian populations and civilian infrastructure. And when they go to a city or a destination, when they encounter any resistance from the Ukrainian army, any serious resistance, they stop and pull back. Because what are they doing? They are encircling. That's their whole strategy. And it's very simple. And if you look at a map, you'd realize it. What the Russians are doing is that whenever they go to a major city like Kiev, like Kharkov, and soon enough, they're going to be in Dnipro. When they get to those cities, they go up to those cities and they meet some resistance and then they pull back. And they allow their forces to start to surround it. And that's the strategy they're employing in Kiev. That's the strategy that they're employing in Kharkov. They are encircling these cities. And once they've completely encircled them, what will they do? They'll wait. That's what they'll do. See, if you surround a city, all you have to do is just wait around. Eventually, it'll fall, of course. 
And so the Russians are systematically surrounding all of the major cities. And whenever they come across a smaller town or, or village, they just advance and cover it and capture it and move on and continue with their advance. Whenever they meet any kind of serious resistance, they stop, pull back, and then encircle. One of the things that they want to capture intact, and people don't seem to realize this, but it's very obvious if you think about it, they are trying to capture the Ukrainian army. That's not why there hasn't been any major battles with you know, hundreds or thousands of casualties. It's been light skirmishes. For all intents and purposes, the Russian army is tiptoeing into Ukraine. Insofar as air power is concerned, the Russians in the first three hours wiped the Ukrainian skies of everything. The Russians own the Ukrainian skies. Any plane flying is Russian. But insofar as their army is concerned, this isn't World War II. This isn't a World War II where the Russian armies were, were you know, I mean, just, you know, kissing cousins of the Mongol hordes. You know what I'm saying? No, this is the modern Russian army that has the goal of capturing intact Ukraine and the Ukrainian army. Because the Russians realize that once they have captured Ukraine and changed the political leadership, they will need an army to protect and look after the Ukrainian state and the Ukrainian people and the Ukrainian land. They don't want to destroy the Ukrainian army. They could do that if they wanted to. They would have done that already. They own the skies over Ukraine. Their goal is to capture Ukraine, capture the Ukrainian army with as little casualties as possible to the Ukrainian army. And that's why whenever they come up against serious Ukrainian resistance, they keep consistently pulling back. And in the West, this is interpreted as the Russians are weak, which is so weird. Mm -hmm. It's like the Russians are so weak, they're not advancing as fast. I mean, well, that is a separate issue that I'm going to get to in just a moment. But the Russians are so weak because they're not obliterating the Ukrainian army. Because that's what the Americans do. They obliterate anything that crosses their path. Friend or foe, they don't really care. But the Russians do care. That's why they're not obliterating the Ukrainian army when they could. So there you go. That was the third clip explaining the military strategy. And you can hear how it is very different from what is being told in the mainstream media. But these are just three accounts. And yes, they are different from what is being told through your TV or even online through these publications. I just think it's important for you to get a well-rounded view of what's happening and you come to your own conclusions. I cannot accept information at face value. I have to do my research, but it has been very difficult to find out what is going on due to the censorship. This strategy of diverting everybody's attention away from what was happening, and we know that we were initially talking about COVID, uh, certain measures were being challenged. We know that in Canada, there was the 
Freedom Convoy. We know that there was a convoy uh, coming to D.C. They actually did arrive in D.C. We know that inflation is skyrocketing. We know that people who are renting are, are feeling as if they are being pushed out from renting. We know mortgage rates are increasing. We know the Federal Reserve is increasing its interest rates. All of this is happening. And then all of a sudden, our attention got diverted to Russia. So you can see how this psychological uh, warfare is playing out. And you can't lose sight of the end goal, which is this global reset, this new world order. This is essentially just falling in line, another domino in this entire plan. So I want to bring the attention back to what's happening domestically with this inflation and these rising costs, because I don't know about you, but it has officially hit four nineteen a gallon for unleaded, $5 for premium. That's insane. Now, I know it's even worse on the West Coast, but to be paying $5 premium, what really boggles my mind is... At what point will people in the United States get frustrated? Like, when will Americans say this is too much? And it's a very interesting question because I know we have so many safety nets here. We have food stamps. We have unemployment benefits. These are the type of programs that are actually not even offered in other countries. Now, you may say that certain countries in Europe have a... Uh, socialist structure. And yes, they do have something along those lines, but their salaries are not as high as Americans. I could probably say that their cost of living may be equal or higher than what it is in the U.S. So here the U.S., the, the advantage here is that we have the dollar. You have to pay pet- petroleum using the petrodollar and the dollar is the currency standard. But when all of that goes away, that money has to go back somewhere and it's going to flood the United States. So this is what's going on with the inflation. So we have to begin by understanding what is inflation versus hyperinflation. Inflation is the decline in purchasing power of a given currency over time. Now, according to Investopedia, while it is easy to measure the price changes of individual products over time, human needs extend beyond one or two such products. Individuals need a big and diversified set of products as well as a host of services for living a comfortable life. They include commodities like food, grains, metal, fuel, utilities like electricity and transportation, and services like healthcare, entertainment, and labor. Inflation aims to measure the overall impact of price changes for a diversified set of products and services and allows for a single representation of the increase in the price level of goods and services in an economy over a period of time. As a currency loses value, prices rise and it buys fewer goods and services. This loss of purchasing power impacts the general cost of living for the common public which ultimately leads to a deceleration in economic growth. 
the consensus view among economists is that sustained inflation occurs when a nation's money supply growth outpaces economic growth. So money supply growth, what has the government been doing for the past couple of years, probably since 2008, they have been pumping money into the economy. So they are creating this artificial growth. And prior to that, during the Clinton administration, Bill Clinton, the president at that time, removed the Glass-Steagall Act. And this is important because as a result of the markets crashing, the depression, the Glass-Steagall Act was put in place to create these barriers in the banking industry. And when Bill Clinton removed the Glass-Steagall Act, that just opened up the floodgates to allow the bankers to do whatever the hell they wanted with our money. Mind you, they are receiving money from the government, which is the taxpayer money. And they created these uh, credit default swaps. Uh, They created this fractional banking. It was just a mess. So this is not something that just occurred the past couple of years. This has been in the making for quite some time. So now that you know what inflation is, you really need to know what hyperinflation is because we have trillions of dollars circulating in the economy right now, which is not really due to creation, meaning you don't have people who are working to create actual value and it can be quantified by each individual uh, working uh, citizen. It is just this false creation of money being handed to people, and yet they're not producing anything of value. So why do we need to know what hyperinflation is? Well, when inflation is increasing at a rate that is just unsustainable, you create hyperinflation. This is what happened in Germany. This is what happened in Venezuela, in Zimbabwe, and Yes, it did happen in the United States many, many years ago, but I think we are about to experience it again. Hyperinflation has two main causes, an increase in the money supply and demand pull inflation. The former happens when a country's government begins printing money to pay for its spending. As it increases the money supply, prices rise as in regular inflation. The other cause, demand pull inflation, occurs when a surge in demand outstrips supply, sending prices higher. This can happen due to increased consumer spending, due to a growing economy, a sudden rise in exports, or more government spending. The two often go hand in hand. Instead of tightening the money supply to stop inflation, the government or central bank might continue to print more money. With too much currency sloshing around, prices skyrocket. Once consumers realize what is happening, they expect continued inflation. They buy more now to avoid paying a higher price later. The excessive demand aggravates inflation. It's even worse if consumers stockpile goods and create shortages. So again, The scenario that you're seeing right now and the definition or the description of hyperinflation that I just presented to all of you sounds similar to what? 
what happened in 2020 and of course last year 2021 with these artificial shortages and people who are not working so they were being forced to take the vaccine when they didn't want to we have a much smaller uh, workforce and we had the government giving people money to stay home we are going to experience hyperinflation and I know people are thinking, well, it hasn't happened yet. The worst hasn't happened yet. That's not the point. The point here, and I'm not trying to lecture because you all can think for yourself and make your own decisions. The point is that this will happen, but it will happen so quickly that you're not going to have time to react. If your salary or your wages are not keeping up with inflation, you are going to be pushed out very quickly. A lot of Americans don't even have enough money to address an, an unexpected emergency. They don't have even three months of rent or three months to pay a mortgage. People are on the brink. And I know the weather is getting warm and we're getting really antsy and we want to go out and do what we want to do during the summer. And hey, take a little break because I know a lot of this information can be very heavy. At the same time, you really need to get ready because it just seems as if everything is accelerating at this point. And I know a lot of people who don't want to acknowledge what's going on. They see the gas prices shooting up. I mean, $5 for premium here in D.C. I don't know what it is in New Jersey. I don't know what it is in New York. I know a lot of people don't have cars in New York City. But regardless of the fact, they must be paying, at least for premium, well over $5. I know the West Coast has been hit really hard. So when did this become acceptable? It should not be acceptable. The reason why I bring this again to the table is that what's happening in Russia is now affecting us. It's compounding the issues, not saying that the Ukraine-Russian conflict has created this inflation. This was decades in the making, but it is really exacerbating the issue and making the impact very acute. So you want to know what's crazy? I went to the U.S. Energy Information Administration site and I wanted to really see what the averages were over time. So it's been tracking retail gasoline prices since 1993. So 20 plus years ago, let's just say 22 years ago, in January, the average gasoline price was $1.33. 10 years ago, which would have been in 2012, we were paying $3.44. So you might say, okay, well, we are on track or things haven't changed. Well, technically speaking, in 2016, we were paying on average $2.05. That's right, $2.05 in 2016. And then from 2016 to 2020, you know, we were looking roughly around $2.50 on average. And then all of a sudden, we start seeing this jump. And 
we literally went from January of 2021, starting off paying $2.42 on average. And then by the end of the 2021 year, we were paying $3.40. You can see how that's not sustainable in one year for gases or gas prices to jump that high. So I want to make one final point about the inflation and these energy costs that are increasing. The United Nations put out a report stating that there was a 20.7% rise in global food prices driven by dairy and vegetable oils. So the world food prices led by skyrocketing costs of dairy and vegetable oils reached record highs in February. The shocking 20.7% yearly increase in food costs were reported Friday by the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization, which tracks the prices of food staples. So the reason why I want to mention this is due to the fact that history teaches us many, many lessons, and yet we fail to learn from them. When the price of grains goes up so high and so quickly that the very own citizens, the consumers are not able to pay for food, that is when revolutions happen. Now, I don't know if that could possibly take place in the U.S. They have drugged the majority of Americans through prescription um, or pharmaceutical drugs, through uh, entertainment, through food, through uh, just all types of attacks. And I really don't know if it would happen here, but I know in other nations it has happened. You recall the Arab Spring? Yes, it was already at a point, a tipping point. And then, of course, the Egyptians were aggravated about the point that they just could not afford any of the food. Now, there are some other reasons why that Arab Spring took place, but they were at a breaking point. We know the French Revolution started as a result of the people not being able to afford bread. And so Marie Antoinette, you know, her let them eat cake, allegedly. We don't know if she did say that, but it has been documented that it is tied to her really uh, didn't pay off for her. We also see what's happening in Venezuela. And I can name so many other nations that have had revolutions. Uh, We see Zimbabwe with their inflation. We've seen in the Middle East, we've seen in parts of Africa. It's literally just a, a list of places that have had revolutions when they could not feed themselves. Soviet Union, one of the main reasons why it collapsed, it just was not sustainable. Brazil, uh, Chile, I mean, it keeps going on and on. So when the price of grain is so high that people can't even afford to eat, the real question is, will a global revolution start? Because it's always happened in different regions of the world. Some people were isolated from those particular events. But when it's happening all at once, what is going to happen? Where is the breaking point? That is what I am 
really curious about, but I really don't know how much more people can take. So I covered really just two topics for today, but there were a couple things I was able to find uh, for this episode. Bayer executive brags mRNA shots are gene therapy marketed as vaccines. That is being buried in the news. It's not going to surface. Also, New York City and D.C. dropped their vaccine mandates, at least at least to be able to enter into a public venue or a restaurant and so forth. So those were completely wiped out. And then also the Pfizer dump. So by court order, Pfizer is supposed to be dropping at least 55,000 pages of documents each month. And a new set of documents came out. And it never ceases to amaze anybody who's following this because we have been stating that these were not vaccines. These are gene therapies. And the data is showing that these injections are actually lethal. The U.S. Senate passes bill to end the COVID-19 national emergency. So we are technically no longer under emergency authority. But, you know, you just never know what could possibly happen. And then finally, Wall Street is quietly trading for the return of Russia. You can't underestimate these bankers. They are ruthless and they do no good for anybody. And they're in the same boat as an attorney. I digress, though. That's a different topic. Anyways, I know I had much fewer articles to discuss this time around, but like I mentioned, the the censorship is insane. So maybe next week I will have more headlines to discuss with you, but I think what we discussed is important, at least for your awareness and livelihood. So I'm going to wrap this up. I hope you guys have a good week. And I will talk to you in another episode. Bye, guys.